Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. In Ezekiel chapter 8 through 11, the prophet Ezekiel tells a sad story, a story about God's people, except they weren't acting like they were God's people. Inside the temple of God, people were worshiping other things. Outside on the streets, people were hurting each other. They were encouraging injustice. They were being hypocrites. God had tried and tried and tried, but could not get their attention. It was time for God to leave. The presence of God rose up from the most holy place and then moved to the door of the temple. It lingered at the east gate and then moved and paused again on the east mountain, as though looking back with regret. And then the presence of God was gone. God had left the building. It would be 600 years before God's physical presence would return to the temple and it would return in a way that no one expected. Good morning, family. In case we haven't met yet, my name is Melanie Bachman, and I serve as the worship pastor here at Whole Life. Thank you. And for those of you who are wondering why I'm standing up here instead of Pastor Ken, Pastor Ken and Rochelle took the day off. Even the senior pastor gets to do that sometimes, and I do believe he's earned it, don't you? But he did promise he would be back, so that's the good news. If you have been worshiping with us here at Whole Life for the past few weeks, you know that last week we concluded a series called Follow Me, which is our theme for this year. And this week we are starting a brand new series. It's a three-part series, like Tony mentioned, called Holy Encounters. And these are some specific encounters with Jesus where people did not necessarily have the experience that they were expecting. Let's pray together. God, it was such a good idea to tell us to get together every week and do this. Lord, we just pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We've already felt you here this morning through the music and through the fellowship. And I just pray now that you would turn our hearts toward you and that you would overwhelm us with your unfailing love. And I pray that you would empower us with a deeper understanding. We pray. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, Ken told a fun story, you probably remember it, uh, about going on vacation with Rochelle. They went to Europe with some other people. And when he found out that they had to have a tour guide, he was a little disappointed because he's kind of an independent guy. He likes to do his own thing. But after the experience, he said that he was so glad that they had a tour guide because it enriched the entire experience because it's easier to travel with someone who's been there before. And the metaphor that he used was that Jesus is our ultimate tour guide. 
And life is better and richer when we have Jesus who knows the way. Now, maybe some of you thought about your own tour guide experiences when he told that story. I know I did. And I just want to say that I'm really glad that Ken and Rochelle had this wonderful experience with this wonderful tour guide uh, because my husband Tim and I have also traveled overseas and we also had an experience with a tour guide. But our experience was a little different. (laughs) We were in Africa and we decided there with my parents and some other people, we decided that we would go on a one day safari. And we were so excited. We arrived on the appointed day at the appointed hour. And the bus driver, who was also our uh, tour guide, loaded us all onto the bus, and our adventure began. And everything started out so well. It was a beautiful day. We saw elephants, and we saw giraffes. And if you've never seen a bunch of giraffes running, they are so graceful. It looks like they're running in slow motion. It's amazing. We saw a zebra. We even saw a hippopotamus. It was fantastic, and we were having such a great time. But we noticed something strange. Every single time the bus stopped, the bus driver slash tour guide would disappear for a few minutes. And we never knew where he went, but eventually he would come back and we would all pile back onto the bus and we would go to the next stop. And one time somebody was like, where is he going? I'm going to go check out and follow you know, where he's going. And he turned around and he noticed that some of us were following him and he said, stay by the bus. There are lions in the grass that will eat you and you will not even see them coming. You stay by the bus. And then he would disappear for a while until we wondered if maybe he had been eaten by the lions. <laughs> But eventually he would come back and we get on the bus and we keep going. But we noticed throughout the day that his driving was becoming more and more erratic. Sometimes we were all the way on the road. Sometimes a couple wheels were off the road and we would sort of bounce back on the road in a cloud of dust. And we finally realized why. Because when he disappeared, it was for a purpose. He had a brown bag with him with a beverage inside. And let me tell you, my friends, this was not Gatorade. It was something else. And so at some point during the day, he just gave up hiding it from us, and he did something that could loosely be called driving. He had one hand on the wheel and one hand on his brown bagged beverage. And he was taking swigs and laughing maniacally while he drove like a mad person. At one point, we veered off the road altogether and went through a grove of trees and bushes and grass, and there were branches that were scraping the side of the bus, and we're all popcorning around in the back of the bus trying to hold on for dear life. And at some point, we made it through to the other side, and I don't even know exactly what happened, but somehow we ended up on the banks of a river. It was a big river. It was deep and wide. And he explained to us that in this river, there were a lot of aggressive crocodiles. And then he proceeded to drive the bus into the river. And we yelled at him and we said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm crossing the bridge. And we said, there is no bridge. 
And he said, yes, there is. It's just that there's been flooding and it's under the water and you can't see it. But I know where it is. And so he started driving the bus deeper and deeper into the water and the water's swirling around the bus and there may or may not have been much weeping and gnashing of teeth coming from the back of the bus. So there we were in the middle of the African wilderness, hours away from any other alternative humans. The lions were in the grass waiting to eat us. There were crocodiles in the river waiting to eat us. Our bus driver slash tour guide was completely intoxicated and we were all going to die. So spoiler alert, we didn't die. And he must have, even in his intoxicated state, he must have actually known where the bridge was because we actually emerged on the other side relatively unscathed. And at some point during the day, a few hours later, after an entire day of almost dying, we actually arrived back where we began. And we all exited the tour bus with great rejoicing. Boy, I just really messed up the Jesus as tour guide metaphor, didn't I? Except maybe not. Maybe it still works. And here's why. Because I've had opportunities to talk, about, talk with a lot of people who told me about their journeys, their stories about following Jesus. And sometimes in those stories, it seems like following Jesus is a lot be like being on Ken's tour bus with Ken's tour guide. But there are other times when it seems like following Jesus maybe is a little more like being on my tour bus with my tour guide. Now, some of you are feeling a little uncomfortable right now because I have just compared Jesus to an inebriated, reckless tour guide right? Uh, but don't forget that Jesus in a parable also once loosely compared God to an unjust judge. And of course, his point wasn't that God is an unjust judge. He was making a different point. That's what you have to do with imperfect metaphors. And yes, this is an imperfect metaphor. But I wonder if just like us, sometimes the disciples looked around and wondered what bus they were on. Yeah. Because they often encountered a Jesus that was like the Jesus you would expect. And then there were the times when there was an encounter in which Jesus didn't act very much like Jesus. There aren't very many stories. Well, I should say there are a handful of stories in the Gospels that are told in all four Gospels. And we're going to look at one particular story this morning that is found in all four Gospels. And the interesting thing is, every one of the Gospels tells the story a little bit differently, which is understandable. Because the Gospels were actually written decades after Jesus died. The stories had been told and retold and retold. And so people remembered details differently. Sometimes the stories happen in different order. Sometimes, actually, each of the gospel writers was writing to a particular audience for a particular reason in order to say a particular thing about Jesus. So they chose the details that worked best for the story that they were trying to tell. Well, we're going to let Matthew 
tell a story this morning, but we're going to fill in with some details from some of the other Gospels. Jesus and his disciples are on a trip. They're headed toward Jerusalem, and they come to the Mount of Olives. And there's a village there, and Jesus makes a request. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and once you are there, you'll find a donkey and her colt tied. I would like you to untie them and bring them to me. And so, uh, well, prior to this, Jesus said, Now listen, if anybody says anything to you, don't worry. Just let them know that the Lord needs it, and they'll let you take it. So the disciples did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd then came and spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, it says. And people were asking, who is this? And the crowd was asking, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And everything was going so well. All of these people were adoring Jesus. The crowds were following after him. And he looked regal and kingly sitting on that colt. The disciples must have been overjoyed. This was great. This was the beginning of something wonderful. And then this happened. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. John actually says it slightly differently. His Jesus says, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a house of merchandise. Stop turning my father's house into a market. I imagine that scene. Tables are flying over and coins are just echoing on the floor and people are screaming and birds are flying around in the air and confused don uh, sheep and goats are, are running around tripping people and parents are grabbing their children and pulling them aside trying to get them away from this unhinged man. Total chaos. I wonder what it felt like to be Jesus' disciples in that moment. Oh well. This started out good, and here we are. I wonder if, if they were willing then to be like, oh yeah, that's, that's, I'm one of his disciples, I follow him. Or if maybe they were wondering what in the world Jesus was doing. What in the world? Jesus, we just had this great experience. Why are you ruining everything? And who's going to pay for all of this? We are going to be in so much trouble with the priests. And everybody from everywhere is here at the Passover. They're all seeing this and they're all going to go home and tell, this is going to go viral. 
Jesus, can you maybe just take a breath? Maybe count to 10? Let's take this outside. When I was a kid, I imagined this. I imagined that Jesus and his disciples sort of in an unsuspecting way arrive at the temple to worship and Jesus walks in and he is so shocked and so enraged by what is happening there that he completely loses it. He loses his holy temper and flies into a righteous rage and begins tearing the place up. Just responds, just reacts out of this, out of this violent emotion. And Jesus is reckless and he's out of control. But if we pay attention to clues from a couple of other gospels, we find out that that's not the case at all. Jesus was not out of control at all. Unlike my tour bus, <laughs> tour guide on my tour bus. That's where the metaphor falls apart, by the way. These two clues, one comes from Mark and one comes from John. I'll share them with you. Mark says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts and looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the 12. Jesus came in, saw everything that was going on, and then decided to go hang out with some friends and spend the night with them. Jesus had all night long to think about it. He slept on it. That doesn't sound impulsive and reckless to you, does it? Here's the second clue. John 2 14 and 15, John describes it. He says, in the temple courts, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a, he made a whip. He didn't just find one sitting there. He didn't actually, he didn't have one on him. John says he made a whip. Do you understand what that process was? Jesus had to go acquire strips of leather and then find a place to sit down and then begin braiding the handle. And then if it was like other whips that people used at that time, he tied the ends of every single one of those strips of leather into a knot. Now, imagine being a disciple. And you're sitting there and you're hanging out and Jesus is doing something. And then eventually you look over and you realize what he's actually making. So what is he doing? I hope this is not about us asking which one is the greatest because it's not really that important. We don't need to know. I thought he was a carpenter. He must have learned whip making in Pathfinders. But Jesus is deliberately making this whip after having spent the night thinking about what he saw in the temple. There was nothing reckless or out of control about it. But there's one more detail. And this detail is only found in the book of Matthew. And actually it's a detail that scholars don't spend very much talk time talking about. But this is it. 
the author of Matthew says, the blind and the lame then came to him and he healed them. Curious, right? Everyone else has just run away from the temple in terror, confused, and somehow, when the dust settles, the blind and the lame navigated their way through the mess, through the spilled hay, through the spilled coins, around the broken tables, and found their way to Jesus. Now, at first glance, there's more information here that, that, that you can actually see at first glance because the blind and the lame, it didn't mean that there were some people who were vision impaired and some people who had mobility issues who happened to be there at the temple and then they came in. The blind and the lame is actually shorthand. It represents a category of people. And these people were people who were excluded for various reasons. They could not participate in the Jewish cultic practices of sacrifice. Thousands of years before, the list had actually been created and, and it was supposed to be applied to, very narrowly to uh, the priests who were performing specific duties in the temple. But somehow over time, the list kind of expanded and got bigger. And then it began to be applied more broadly so that now it not only applied to a small subsection of priests, it applied pretty much across the board. And this group of people had lots of different characteristics. They were excluded if they had a rash, if they had uneven limbs, if they were missing, if they were missing a testicle or the testicle was damaged, if they were eunuchs by birth or by cho choice or by force, if they had a cleft palate, if they had ambiguous genitalia, if they had a damaged nose, a broken arm, a broken leg, or if they were ritually impure for some other reason. And lumped in with this group of exclusions were the foreigners, the people who were not Jewish, and all of these people had one thing in common. Well, at least one thing in common. The only place in the temple where they were allowed to be was the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. But the court of the Gentiles was also the appropriate place for merchandisers who were selling sacrificial animals to set up their tables. Because it didn't make sense, especially with all of these people coming for Passover to Jerusalem, it didn't make sense for them to try to bring their sacrificial animals with them. Because if they did that, then maybe the lamb would break its leg, maybe a bird would get his shoulder injured, or something would happen to where their sacrificial animal would not be eligible for sacrifice by the time they arrived. So it made so much more sense. It was more efficient for them to bring money with them and then purchase their sacrificial animal right there at the temple, and then go in for sacrifice. And as an added benefit, they could also pay their taxes there. It was a convenience. And all of those people needed this in order to fulfill what God had asked them to do. Why did Jesus tear everything up 
Why did Jesus flip all of those tables and disrupt everybody's Passover process? I suggest it's because anyone could worship in the court of the Gentiles. You didn't have to be Jewish. You didn't have to be male. You didn't have to have a normative body. You didn't have to be ritually pure, with one exception, but I'll spare you the details. And I wonder if there was a different reason. Scholars might say, you know, Jesus was there and he was actually a political revolutionary and he was sending a message to Rome by disrupting the taxation process. Others say, no, 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 Jesus was a first century Robin Hood and he had noticed that people were making money on these sacrificial animals and this was a demonstration against that. Other people say, no, 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 he was symbolically cleansing the temple so that he could usher in the kingdom of God. And others say, wait, wait, wait. No, he was establishing his authority as the Messiah. We don't really know. Maybe it's some combination of the above. And I love nerding out about this kind of thing. If you want to nerd out about it, I can bore you for hours. But the truth is, we don't know. And so I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine that this outer court, this court of the Gentiles, the only place available for foreigners and eunuchs and the blind and the lame and everybody else in the excluded category, that court was full. And it wasn't full of the people for whom it had been reserved. It was full of all the people who had inner court privileges there, purchasing their sacrifices, going through their processes, and getting ready to do what they uh, needed to do to make sure that their sacrifice happened. And there was so much going on in there that if you weren't actually in there buying or selling something, have you ever been in a store like this? If you're not going to buy anything, you need to go. But if you weren't permitted, or... Actually, there's more than one way to look at it. Either they were not permitted to participate or God said, you know what? It's going to be more difficult if you have some kind of impairment for you to be able to make a living and therefore purchase a sacrificial animal. So I'm relieving you of this responsibility. So you can look at it one, or the, one in one way or another. But either way, they weren't purchasing an animal. There was no space for them. I have to wonder... If when Jesus came in, he looked around and he saw all those excluded people on Solomon's porch, and then he walked inside and saw all of those inner court people getting ready for their sacrifices. And he responded from that. I wonder if this is what it means when the scripture says that God prefers mercy over sacrifice. You see, Jesus didn't just flip tables. Jesus flipped the entire narrative. Follow this story with me again really quickly. Jesus and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem. They arrive on an east mountain where Jesus pauses and he looks out over the beautiful temple and he looks out over Jerusalem and he starts crying. 
saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only I would have gathered you if you would have let me. And then they come down from the east mountain into the city. And then Jesus comes through the east gate into the court of the Gentiles. Is this sounding familiar? It should sound familiar because in the video, Ruby Pomianowski so beautifully, so beautifully told us the story of Ezekiel. Jesus is returning to Jerusalem in exactly the reverse order of the direction of God's presence when it left. God's presence had returned to the temple after 600 years. And when it arrived, it had, a, it had a whip in one hand and healing in the other. And God's presence restored those in the margins to their rightful place. But this time, instead of retreating to the most holy place, the presence of God remained in the outer court with all of the excluded people. Because God's presence identified with them. And you know what happens when God's presence shows up? That becomes a holy place. And for some reason, after Jesus cleansed the temple, the people in the margins realized it was their turn. It was their turn. It was their space. And you know what? Maybe that's how we know when Jesus shows up. Because marginalized people feel safe. And they know that it's their turn to be with Jesus. And I'm not trying to call down fire on any church communities this morning. But I just want to make a, what seems to me to be a logical conclusion. If marginalized people feel safe with Jesus, and marginalized people show up at church and don't feel safe, maybe it's because Jesus isn't there. Family, at Whole Life, we have committed to following Jesus. We have committed to following Jesus, even if it's a version of Jesus that other people aren't sure they want to follow. I pray that we never find ourselves seated at a table that Jesus would flip. But you know what? If we do have tables that we still need to flip, we don't have to wait around for Jesus to show up and do it. We can flip our own tables. I think we can figure out which ones they are, don't you? We're not in the driver's seat, are we? We're hanging out on the passenger side. But you know what? I will get on that bus with that Jesus. How about you? Thank you so much. What a wonderful day of worship we've had so mm -hmm. far. Awesome. Um, so now is the time of service where we get to have a response. That's where you can write in a question on wholelife.church live. And uh, we will ask the question of Melody live. However, 
Um, it's already past our closing time. We and had Melanie, a long-winded preacher. Yes. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know if we should let Melanie get away with no questions uh, asked. I feel like we've got to ask at least one. <laughs> She's looking at me like, this isn't what we talked about. Um, but um, if you have any questions, you can actually post them here, and we do answer them on the podcast. Um, and I will ask you one, and you can. I'll leave it up to you if you want to leave it for the podcast. But Cecilia wrote in, how do we decide between reacting like flipping table Jesus and turn the other cheek Jesus? Mm, that is a great That's... question. What did you say, Atara? <laughs> oh, thank you for asking. I'll, how about if I give a quick answer now yes. and then we can talk about it more on the podcast. Okay, that's fair enough. My quick answer now is flipping tables, flipping tables Jesus flips tables in defense of other people. Turn the other cheek, Jesus responds for himself. So that's the short answer. All right. We can talk about it more in podcasts. I think I'm looking more forward to the long answer now for more explanation (laughs) on that. So awesome. Here's another question coming in. Okay. Another good one. Um, Wow. All right. It's the short version of it is how do we balance love for all people? So um, let's, uh, and it's talking about some of the marginalized groups. So that should be a very lively discussion in our podcast. Check it out. Sounds great. This is Whole Life and it's available everywhere that podcasts are heard and it comes out Wednesday mornings. Wednesday morning. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stanley. (laughs) Next week, we are going to talk about another holy encounter, but this encounter has to do with sibling rivalry. So I hope you will be here with us next week. Let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that your presence finds us and brings us in. I pray that you would give us the courage to make sure there's room for everyone. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, Pastor Ken is not here but I think you know what we're supposed to do now. What are we supposed to do? Go love your world. That's right. Oh, and I love you also. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.